if these songs don't get your uh, pulse just beating a little bit faster, I argue that there's something wrong with you deeply. You should see a doctor. Today, um, we are going to be in Ephesians, the book or the letter of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. You should have been able to guess that if you uh, have any good working knowledge of God's Word, um, that we would land in, in this text today. Um, for those of you who are visiting today, I'm, the, uh, I'm one of the associate pastors. Pastor Lynn is, is uh, the other, but uh, our pastor is down visiting a church plant that's going on in uh, St. George, Utah. He's down there with his son who is uh, heading that up with a team of other folks that have really gone from this church. So uh, they're down there, and, and um, Christy is getting to see her grandkids and celebrate this Mother's Day with them. So and I'm grateful to be here with you. Let's take a look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. You can follow along with me as I read. It says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, I could really honestly stop right here because that's the whole message. Uh, Paul is introducing this message. It's put on, uh, stand in God's might, stand in God's strength, right? And put on the armor of God uh, so that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we could shorten this up if you want right now and you can uh, grab some flowers and go home. But I'm not going to let you. We're going to go through these texts uh, one at a time, excuse me, and see what, see what it is here that God is speaking to us through the Apostle Paul. So, so take a look here in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we are grateful for this section of Scripture that is so instructive to us and how you have equipped us, how you have made us strong, Lord. Lord, I pray today as we have come in, we have many things going on in the background that we could set those things aside, that you would help us to wholly focus on your word and that which you would have everyone in here to learn, Lord. We know, I know personally you will work on individual hearts in different ways. They will hear different things, Lord. I just pray, God, that you would be doing that in a mighty and a powerful way. 
Amen. From 1993 to 1997, I had the privilege to serve in the United States Special Operations Command at 2nd Ranger Battalion. Since that time, I often get asked, uh, who was the best of the best in the Special Operations Command? Was it the Army Rangers? Was it the Navy SEALs? Was it the Green Berets? Maybe the Air Force has a really cool uh, bunch of guys that I got to work with named PJs. They were pararescue guys that had every badge on the planet, had been at every school, really, really neat guys. But which one, I often get asked, is, is the best? How, uh, who, would, who would stand higher? Who would be the hero? And my prompt answer is always none of them. Each of these forces plays a part in a greater whole. Any one of them standing on their own without a proper team around them and the proper equipment to support them are just sitting ducks in a violent world. Without the head, the military commanders, all of the support roles in place, the individuals within these teams are extremely vulnerable and hopeless in the sight of the enemy. The church is no different. There are no lone wolves. There are no heroes. There are none who stand on their own. Paul says this, and he brings this up earlier in this book, in chapter 4, verse 15. He, he says that, uh, the, that the purpose of those who are gifted in the church is the head, that, and ultimately the head being Christ, that we grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself and love. Today we are going to look at the armor of God, which our head, that is God, Christ, uh, gives to us to be on this battlefield that we call earth. However, we are never asked to fight this battle on our own. Christ is the head. Your brothers and sisters are to be fitted together, as Paul has already said, to make uh, an impenetrable force while the devil wages war against us. There are four truths which we are going to look at this morning. The first one is this. It is the title of this message. Be strong in the Lord. The second is to know your enemy and to know yourself. The third is the war is on. Stand fast. And the fourth is praying always in the Spirit. Take a look there at Ephesians 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This finally here is, Paul is not saying finally and add this to all that I have taught. He is saying finally, I'm summing all of this up for you. In chapter 1, he talked about how uh, the amazing truth that God elected us from before the foundation of the, oral, the world to save you. In chapter 2, he brings up the truth that you're either dead in your trespasses and sin or you are alive in Christ. There is no middle ground in between. In chapter 3, Paul uh, goes on to help uh, the believers to understand the mystery of Christ marrying both the Gentiles and the Jews together and bringing the world to one gospel. In chapter 4, he has given his gifts and in, in people within the church to bring up unity and maturity in the church. In chapter 5, these instructions, right, on how we're to live out this life within the church. 
we get to chapter 6, and Paul is just saying, finally, in, in spite of, or not in spite of, but because of all of these things, I am going to tell you that which God is doing now on this earth. So finally, as a summation of the book, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Saints, I don't want you to miss this. This is probably the most important thing that I will communicate to you today. To miss this is to, to miss everything that follows. If you wrongly place this, it is not our strength that we do any of this in. What does it say there in verse 10? In the power of whose might? His might. Now, some scholars take a look there and it says to be strong in the Lord, but, uh, and they point out the fact that, that it is a middle, it's a passive, uh, it is a passive word, strong. The word strong there is actually could be said to be being strengthened. It's uh, finally, be being strengthened in the Lord. That is the might of his strength. Why does this matter? Because it is God's strength that we are commanded to be strong in, not our own. If you try to live life like this without God in it, ultimately you will end up at the bottom. Your world will shake. Things will crumble. You will have no strength. Things will fall out from underneath you. And you will feel anxious, fearful, and dreadful truth that God is not in or controlling your life. There is nothing more frustrating and heavy laden than to being a believer in thinking that somehow you are going to live out this life without communing or finding your strength in God. Paul said it this way, walk in the Spirit, live in His Spirit, pray in His Spirit, abide in Christ. We are to find our strength, brethren and sisters, in His strength, in His ability, in His uh, wanting to fill your life and walk with you in this life, that in the end we might say to God, be the glory. Paul has a prayer recorded in the first chapter of the book in verses 17 through 20. He says this in, eight, in verse 18 as he's concluding the prayer that, that you, that is the church, may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working, what? Of his mighty power. In the letter of Jude, while arguing that the false teachers had no authority because they had abandoned the truth, we see an example of how the highest ranking angel in heaven views his authority and his strength. In Jude chapter, or Jude, there is no chapters, but Jude verse 9, um, uh, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him, that is the devil, a reviling accusation, but said, what? The Lord rebuke you. If the highest-ranking angel who sits in the presence of God relies wholly on the authority of God's word, how much more should we? Beloved, first and foremost, while we stand on this battleground, stand in his strength, lest you fall. So, how are we to do this? How are we to be strengthened by God? We are to, to go to verse 11 there, to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against 
the wiles of the devil. Notice the command is to put on God's armor, not your armor. The command here is to put on whose armor? You can respond. It's fine. God's armor, right? Not your armor. When I was a young man in the service, I, was, I, I didn't own a bag full of stuff to my name. I had no money, right? I was just serving the country. But yet, because of this great country and in the position that I was in, God, or not God, but, but the United States has chosen to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars in order for me to have the equipment that I needed, the guns that I needed. The, my own breastplate was an inch and a half thick of Kevlar, and um, it was 22 pounds and heavy. <laughs> I don't know why they call this light infantry, but I never felt too light. I surely don't feel light today. But listen, all right, back, back to where did that come from? Um, back to what I'm saying. We are to put on God's armor, right? Not your own armor. An example uh, of this is, is we're going to see uh, here coming up, but understand that, that while I was in the service that we did not supply the armor. We did not design the armor. We just put it on. It is only God who can supply our needs according to what? His riches and His glory. So, we are to be being strengthened by God himself and be putting on that which God has provided. Notice here, our part is to what? Only put on what God has supplied. Why do we put it on? That we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I don't know what your translation says there, but we're going to see here in the near future in this service that this wiles, this deception, this nature of who the devil is, is he... Uh, deceives the world. He deceives people into thinking they're okay when they're not. He deceives them to thinking that this world is going to satisfy that if you get the right job, if you get the right title, if you make enough money that it will all fulfill. My question to you is if you've bought into that lie, what happens when that goes away? What happens when that all shakes and crumbles? Beloved, Don't listen to the rest of this sermon without having this correct in your mind. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. Paul says, finally, be strengthened. Be being strengthened in the Lord. That is, in the might of his strength. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the first truth is, be strong in the Lord. Put on his armor. The second truth is this. Know your enemy and know yourself. Verse 12 says, for we do not, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Unbeknownst to us, right, we always have people in our lives who we think we're battling against, whether it's a boss or a wife or some kind of relationship. But Paul is saying clearly here, get that out of your mind. He says you do not wrestle against that. But you wrestle against what? Principalities and powers of this dark age. In the the late 1800s and the early 1900s, there was new technology being developed. And this technology was UHF and VHF. It was radio waves, right? And all of a sudden... Uh, For the first time in the world, uh, you didn't have to physically be standing and talking to somebody for them to hear you, right? If, If that transmitter went out and it 
used ultra high frequency or very high frequency and you had the right kind of receiver, you could hear what was being said. Nothing short of a miracle in the, mi- in the minds of the people of the time. And today, uh, I would argue that um, there is uh, probably thousands of signals in this room right now. Wi-Fi signals, telephone signals. At any point in time, if somebody on the other end of whatever this invisible realm is that is operating dials up your number, what will happen on your phone, right? It beeps, it tweets, it twitters, it does whatever it does, right? It lets you know that somewhere out there, there is a real connection in this atmosphere. And it is no less real than you and I talking or touching each other. So, in chapter 2 of this epistle, Paul describes Satan as what? The prince of the power of the, what? Air. Let's look at Satan's transmitting influence on mankind. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and then we'll skip down to verses 7 and 8. While you're getting there, just understand that as we drop in on Revelation here, what is going on? The tribulation is over. Jesus Christ has come back. The Antichrist and the false prophet have been cast into the lake of fire. And Jesus has destroyed all of his enemies. There, this is here where we break in. Let's take a look at chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, pause for just a second and consider the fact that at God's very word, although this battle rages on, the devil is clearly in the mix. He creates all kinds of havoc and death and destruction in this world. At the very word of God, he sends an angel and does what? Bounds up, binds up, locks Satan in jail. He is no, he is no enemy to God in the sense that he has any power or any authority about where he is being. Look at verse 3. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations... No more, till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, pay attention here, church, he must be released for a little while. So for the first time in human history, we have the devil being locked up. We see the devil in the, in the garden with Adam and Eve. We see the devil tempting Christ. He is there in present. And for the first time, we are going to see him that he is locked up And um, during this thousand-year reign of Christ, the devil, for the first time, he is locked up. He's not sending out these invisible signals which are so debilitating to our race. Christ sits on the throne of David and rules with a rod of iron. But guess what? There is no rebellion that leads to the war. It seems as if the heart of man, although still fallen, absent the devil's devil's Uh, invisible signals is not moved to complete rebellion against God. 
Verses like Isaiah chapter 65, 17 through 25 describe an unequal peace that we see anywhere else on earth or any other time. Even describing creation like this, in verse 25 it says, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. In this thousand-year time frame, the devil, whatever influence he has had, not only on humanity, but creation and the curse, is locked up and put away. Consider the nations during this time in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall come up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now look back in Revelation chapter 20 and drop down to verse 7, and we'll look at the effect of what happens when the devil is released. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, those are nations to the north of Israel, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. For a thousand years, man has been ruled by a rod of iron, no doubt, with Christ in control. But in an instant, in an instant, the devil is released, and it is as the sands of the sea with his signal going out the people receive it and say, we hate God. We want God gone. We want him out of that place in in Israel. We want him off of the mount in Jerusalem. And we will go up, and they will go up, to their destruction. Humanity is uniquely wired for receiving the signal of our enemy. For a thousand years, there is one king, there is one government, there is one peace, both for humanity and creation. What is this invisible signal that tempts us to complete rebellion towards God? None other than Satan himself. Satan, he was in the garden. He tempted Christ, and certainly Paul is saying here in Ephesians that Satan is waging war in the church age. Paul says in verse 12 here, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, of wickedness in the heavenly places. The first truth is to be strong or to be being strengthened in the Lord. Our only strength, saints, is in the Lord. The second truth is you must know the enemy and you must know yourself, both in his his strengths and in your weaknesses. So what is the answer to this? The third truth we're going to take a look at is the war is raging. Stand fast. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up Back in Ephesians, I'm sorry. Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done so, all to stand. Some wrongly turn to these passages and use them to teach that a Christian should go forth and battle against the devil. I'm not sure how one could get confused here, Paul couldn't be more explicit with this verbal command to stand. He didn't say attack the devil or cast him out, advance the kingdom. 
He said, take up God's armor and stand. The idea here is not standing because, uh, because Christ hasn't won the battle, but rather standing as a defensive position. Now, for any of you who have played a sport or anything like that, I remember when I was trying to teach my boys uh, how to be ready during a football game or a baseball game. And often if you've had young kids, you kind of see them do this, maybe on the soccer field or, right, the game's going on around them, the ball's coming, right, they're kind of maybe looking at the planes or a butterfly or swatting some mosquitoes, right? Uh, they are standing, right? But that is not the idea of what uh, Paul is, is getting at. He's clearly pulling on uh, the understanding of a Roman soldier and not only one by himself, but all together that they would be standing ready for the onslaught of the enemy, right? To stand is not to be ho-humming around, right? It is an athletic position. It is ready to receive that which is going to hit you. And Paul is saying, stand therefore, ready to receive the attacks of the enemy. In modern terms, in the military, we say things that kind of seem silly, but we say, stand fast, get ready, Right? Or hold fast or hold the line. The idea is to hold your ground. The onslaught is coming. We are to be lined up with cleats dug in as the saints of God, our shields up, clothed with the whole armor of God, ready for the devil's attacks. Christ has won the battle. However, the battle is ever-present. Until the devil has either been locked up or eternally judged, which we see in Revelation 20, we will never or we will ever be looking for his attacks. In other words, the war is raging. Stand fast. Get ready. It's coming. Let's look at these pieces of the armor of God. This message I know is, is going to be a little bit late today and going a little bit late, so you just have to bear with me. There are entire books written on these few pieces of armor of God. And just so you know, we're going to go through every one of them. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm going to dial them back here and, and, and get through them, but try and point out to you the, the things that we need to understand from this text. If you want to read all those books, I have them in my library, and uh, they, I will be happy to, to let you go through them. It says in verse 14 and 15, Stand therefore, pay attention to this, having girded, your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The time to prepare for the battle uh, is before you're in it. These first three are past tense verbs. You have already prepared. You have already girded your waist with truth. You have already put on the breastplate of righteousness. They are to exist. You are already to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's not something you need to do to get ready. They need to exist in your life all the time. The time to prepare for battle is before it is having done these things. Having already put on truth, that is objectively learned. We can't go into the battle, saints. You can't go to work all day long and just and be constantly thinking, how am I going to respond and trying to figure out where it is. We need to have objectively looked at God's word. We need to objectively have put it in our hearts and memorized it and think about what it looks like to subjectively act out on those things. 
So having the belt of truth on is an objective thing that we do in our private time and we pray and we consider what God's Word said or in our small groups or, or uh, maybe in um, just our personal time with the Lord so that we can subjectively or we can act on it. We're not trying to figure out what it says. It says, having already put on righteousness, that is, knowing that God has made you righteous in Christ. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, right? He stands in the heavenly realm stating the truth about you. And the truth of the matter or the fact is, is, Tristan, you are a sinner. And the devil stands in the heavenly court round and he says, that guy is guilty. And what, and what is going on? Christ stands right there as the mediator and he says, yes, but I've forgiven that one. Clayton, you're guilty of sin. Yep, I'm guilty of sin, but Christ stands at the right hand of God, saying, but I paid for that one. The devil stands accusing. Do you have Christ on your side? Or will you be judged? The same eternal death that the devil and his demons will get. You need to be having already shod your feet with the gospel of peace to be able to stand firm the Roman soldier's feet were shod with leather and spikes. Why? So he could stand against the enemy. Not so he could push forward, but when the enemy's onslaught came and they hit the, and they hit the shields, right, that they could dig in. Those cleats dug in, that they could hold the line. These are three pieces of God's armor that, are in, or that in order to stand, you must have already put into place. However, Paul is going to transition from this past tense of having done to the active, taking up. Look at verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Beloved, we need to understand biblical faith is not blind faith. It is present action driven by a future reality. Biblical faith is a present action. How I live now, driven not by what I see now, but what I know God is going to do in the future. If you have biblical faith, your hope is not in this world, which is passing away. Peter says it this way, we are passing through, we are pilgrims, we are sojourners. This, is, this world is not our home. If we put our hope in this world, it will shake, I promise you of that. We must look forward to a day when Christ comes, he sets up his kingdom. He creates a new heaven and a new earth, and the devil is no more. The prophet Habakkuk had the right attitude of faith when he penned this in the third chapter of his book, verse 17 through 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the sails, in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Saints, let that be our battle cry. Let us take up the shield of faith and say, the Lord God is my strength. Verse 17, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take as a command, or it's an imperative in the Greek language, while we stand fast, 
having already the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and shot our feet with the gospel of peace. That is a given. When the battle is near, he says, grab your shield, grab your helmet and your, store, and your sword. It's getting serious. The enemy is approaching. One day, not too long ago, when we were living in North Carolina, we had been involved in small groups. And we'd been kind of plugging along for a number of months, and everybody showed up kind of happy and saying how great life was. And just like yours, I'm sure, right? You have no problems. And, and uh, as we got to know each other a little bit better, uh, some of the issues that were going on in people's lives um, uh, started to show up. And our main leader, he called me up, and he said, Carl, I need you I need you to bring your A-game tonight. We've got a major issue going on in our small group. We come to find out that, that uh, a family who had come across, like everything was che- uh, just cherry and, and just ice cream and, and, and toppings, that the reality of life had set in. And he had mentioned that he had not slept in the same bed with his wife for three months, that they were angry and they were recording angry fights of each other on their cell phones. And there's all these crazy things going on. But what my point is here is that, that we must be ready, right? At this point, we were to take up certain things. Um, he is, uh, Sean was warning me to bring your A game. Now, the battle is getting serious. The enemy is approaching. We must grab your shield, grab your helmet, and your sword. Saints, let God's ability to save you in the current battle protect your mind. This helmet of salvation We need to think of it as God's ability to protect us. It is his strength that pulls us through. Let him him bring peace in your mind and also let the promise of your future salvation help you to stand in the battle against Satan. Take up the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, which is the word of God. Take up the word of God. This is the spoken word, the rhema, the the Word of God here, not the essence of God's Word, the Logos. This is the actual speaking of God's Word that we need to take up as our sword. As Jesus did in Matthew 4, 3, 3 through 11, it uh, says here that the tempter, that is Satan, came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is taking God's word and speaking it out and knowing what God's promises are and how to apply them to your life. That's the sword of the Spirit. James said it this way, resist the devil and he will flee. Saints, take up your helmet. Find your rest and your peace in the salvation that God has given you. Take up your sword, which is God's word, spoken out. To bring truth in your life. There's something about us just speaking it and hearing it that brings encouragement. Trust God and speak the word. The devil will flee. Beloved, first, be strong in the Lord. Second, know your enemy and know yourself. Third, you must know that the war is raging on. Take up God's armor and stand fast. Saints, hear what Paul is saying here. While you stand in the battle with Satan, having God's armor on, pray always. Pray always. Take a look at verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end. 
perseverance, and supplication for all the saints. Praying always. What a challenge, right? Praying always. And should you just pray and, and beat yourself to pray? But no, in the what? In the Spirit. In the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I know there's times that I have a difficult time getting through prayer. I have my mind, it's tracking with different things, and it's hard to, to stay on track. But then it's like God's Spirit will come in and help me, and he will, through me, give me the strength to pray for and then for other people. And then it'll, he'll remind me of somebody else in some other instance. And that's praying. It's, it's tapping into God's Spirit. So praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end. Hear what Paul is saying here, that we need to pray always. Don't pray in your strength. Press through where the Spirit empowers your prayer. Rely on the Spirit to guide you in your prayer during these battles. Commune with God. Be prepared with right doctrine. Understand biblical faith. Rest in God's ability to save and speak the truth. Paul also says here to pray for him. Pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's verse 19. And 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says here the mystery of the gospel. I don't know everybody in here this morning by far, and I know we have a lot of visitors. But the gospel means good news, and most of you know that it does mean that. But what is good news without understanding the bad news? Understand this, that, that God himself will judge all sin and all sinners. That God himself has reached down in all time and set Christ up as this pivotal person that we look back to even 2,000 years later and we gather and we celebrate who he is. God is going to judge sin. God is going to judge it in such a way that it is brutal and, and eternity is a long time. Would you agree? If you do not have Christ, you do not have the good news. Are you saved from God's wrath? Which with, with which he is going to pour out on every human, Satan and his fallen angels. Satan stands accusing you of your sin. And he's right. You're a sinner. He is not your friend. It is not a joke. Hell is not a party. It is separation from God forever. I heard one preacher say this, I've held on to it ever since, for the unbeliever, this world is the only heaven you will ever experience. And for the believer, take heart, this is the only hell that you will experience. Paul prays here that he would have the boldness to continue to preach this good news that Christ came to save sinners. And he paid it all. You can do nothing. If you sit in here and you are separated from God, there is no good work, no amount of church services, no amount of, of right living that you can do to bring you to God. Only Christ could do that work. And that is why he died the death he died, that you might live with him in eternity. Today, right now, you can have forgiveness in Christ. All you have to do is believe that Christ took your deserved punishment on the cross. And understand that he overcame death and sin by rising from the dead. And God will 
forgive you. The good news is when you believe this, Christ will not leave you on your own, but fill you with his power to live a life in a world that is tuned into Satan's influence. He will give you the tools of warfare to succeed until he comes. Put your faith in Christ. Today I've presented you with four truths that we need to be strengthened, not in our own selves, but in God alone. That you need to know your enemy, and you need to know that he uniquely puts out a signal that you can clearly hear, and there will be a time coming when it is not there, but now it is. So you had better know him, and you had better know yourself. Third, you must know that the war is on, and that you are to be commanded to stand fast, You're not attacking the devil. You are holding fast to the truth that God has made. And fourth, that we are to always be praying in the Spirit. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for your word that convicts and guides us. Lord, I thank you that you are victorious in all these things. God, that it is your strength, that it is your power. Lord, they are your tools, they are your weapons of warfare. Lord, I pray that Uh, For anyone in here today that does not know you, Lord, that it would hit home in their hearts that this is a temporary life. We are passing through. We are nothing more than pilgrims. And the reality of the resurrection and the judgment is absolutely going to happen, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would move them to repentance, that they would seek you for forgiveness, that they might spend eternity with the saints. Lord, we revel in this. We look forward to your king, your kingdom, the peace, God, that you will bring. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name.